Hello, fellow citizens of Earth. Today we are chatting with Taylor James on the People, Pain, and Practice podcast. It was a pleasure having a conversation with TJ, and we got to talking about a ton of different topics. Uh, everything from tailoring your treatment to the specific individual and how that changes from, say, a spa environment to a more athletic one as well as his thoughts on certain techniques such as MFR and specific terminology insofar as it relates to, say, a biomechanical versus biopsychosocial type model. It's a real deep dive, and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Hope you all enjoy it, and thanks for listening. TJ, welcome to the show. Thank thanks you very having. much for taking the time to have this conversation. My pleasure. Right on. So you have been practicing as an RMT for about 11 years. Is that right? Yeah. And teaching for about eight or so at WCC? Yeah, I did WCCMT for quite some time. And uh, yeah, I haven't taught there in a couple of years. And now I'm at uh, CDI being the uh, clinical coordinator. Right on. So could you, if you don't mind, take us back to TJ a decade or so ago <laughs> and uh, tell us about the story leading up to you applying for RMT school and then going through that whole process? <laughs> yeah. I, w I really wish I had a, a, a good story. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't, right? It's, uh, <clears throat> uh, as we talked about before, I, uh, I'm a guitar player. And uh, at one time, I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> and I was uh, pretty committed to giving it a go. <laughs> and my roommate at the time was, was dating this, uh, this woman who was doing massage. And I'd, I'd never met an RMT in my life. Uh, she wasn't registered, but mm. I didn't know the difference. And uh, she attended the WCCMT spa practitioner program. And she told me a little bit about it. And I thought, wow, like, now that's an awesome way to make money. And I can totally focus on music now. Right. So I'll make like, you know, I'll make like full time money in part time. And then I could focus on what really matters. Right. Yeah. And then and then I just I just fell in love with something else, man. <laughs> That's just what happened. It caught you, hey? So w when did you did you fall in love with it through the schooling process? Was it throughout your yeah. practicing? Yeah. Well, I have to say it changed a lot during uh, for me. My perceptions about massage therapy changed a lot. Um, working with some in incredible instructors there. Some of them are mm -hmm. still teaching, and um, yeah, I remember it was about. Hmm, term three when we started treating conditions where hmm. I started understanding I was like oh we're we're like really treating stuff here hmm. I uh, I didn't really get that before but when that clicked then I was hooked right so initially when you went into the program then you didn't have that idea of say treating people and them coming in with some specific oh no not even close no hey no so so you you got into it just like nah, you know massaging people that sounds fun that sounds cool why yeah. the heck not? Well, that's the same Part -time reason why money. I like music, right? It's, right? it's people. It's connecting with people. And massage is what brings people in the door. Right. And, uh, and I suppose that I like the same thing about it, uh, about massage as I do about music. It's, it's, uh, I guess there's some kind of like a deep um, intrinsic vulnerability that we have to take care of there. Right. You know, um, and uh, that's where human to human connection I find is uh, really satisfying when everybody can just drop their guard a bit. Yeah, and so would you say that that, that connection drive, drove you to pick up more of an instructor or teacher, teaching role in the profession? Actually, no. Um, I think that <clears throat> it was one of those things where I just kind of discovered that 
you know, people liked my notes mm. and I got compliments on the way that I studied. And I think it was partly on that, but honestly, it's because um, I grew up thinking I was kind of a blockhead. So mm. just working through my own crap, I guess, right? And then right. I get there and I'm like, oh, like, oh, I guess, I guess this is a good fit, right? Maybe it's because I knew a lot of wrong ways to do stuff. <laughs> and so I could end up hiding, highlighting some, some better ways, you know? Right, right. So it was, you kind of more stumbled upon it than, than you were totally, driving for totally. something like that? It was an accident. It was one of those things where I just, uh, I, I, turned out I had some kind of, uh, some kind of talent for it and people seemed to appreciate it. And, and I just wanted to keep doing it because it's so satisfying. Right. So satisfying. Where do you where do you derive that satisfaction from while you're teaching? Oh, it's the light bulb moment. Hmm. It's the light bulb moment, and it's especially it's 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 hard to say uh, when you're on that side of the when you're not on that side of the table, being in the teaching game. It's um, I get it. I have to say that I get a lot of satisfaction from from dealing with students who other teachers have warned me about hmm. as being particularly troublesome or. Right you know, hard to deal with or they, you know, whatever it is, their little idiosyncrasies, right? Whatever bothers the, the admin about them or something. I don't know. I just, uh, I get the greatest amount of satisfaction of working with tough cases, I guess. Right. And do you find that even in your practice that you see someone that has been through, say, a bunch of different Kairos, RMTs, whatever it may be, and oh. you see them and you're like, that's that's the one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that? Well, I'm, I'm really blessed to be in the position that I'm in right now. Hmm. Um, I'm working at Mountain View Health and Wellness. Mm -hmm. And this place, they do full direction to pay. And so nobody's nobody's paying for treatment, right? And mm, I have to say that everybody that comes in to see me is hurt. Mm -hmm. And they're all complicated cases. And it's a huge privilege to work with them. Um, it's not so much a, you know, a service, an exchange for service. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a different relationship where they're coming to me for help. Right. Yeah, so I'm really blessed to be in that position. Mm -hmm. And if I recall, you've you may have mentioned that you've worked in a wide variety of setting, settings, from spa to oh, more yeah. athletic based therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. How did uh, how did those lead you to the way your practice is running right now? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, in one way, people are people. Mm. I, I've seen acute injury in the spa. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. People are people, and I think that you know maybe it's not the best thing, but <clears throat> I think that uh, most most of the public still probably doesn't understand that there's not much of a difference between your registered massage therapist and just anybody who's doing massage, right? Right, right. So um, because of that, I just don't think that that uh, it's that different being in a spa setting versus being in multidisciplinary mm. versus being in athletics. Well. It can be a little different, but it's not that different. I mean, right. It's a massage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't you don't feel like there are that many boundaries or differences across that spectrum. I think that there are differences that can be highlighted, but mm. I think that mostly it's in it's it's an approach, it's an aesthetic, it's uh, how you approach the person. Like, if I was working in a sports in environment, I'd have a whole bag full of tape and Graston. Right, tools, right. You know, like yeah. So you, you tailor yourself to the audience a little oh, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, I guess maybe speaking of a bit of taping and uh, more athletic injuries, uh, I understand that you went through. Uh, I don't know the exact specifics of if it was an, in, an injury, but some mid back pain that was trouble troubling you for quite some time. I did. Yeah. Could you give us a bit of an overview of 
how that started and, and your journey through trying to uh, recover through that or get the pain away? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it developed when I was in school. Um, RMT school? Yep, in mm-hmm. college uh, to become an RMT. Sometime around a third or fourth term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're talking like 2004 or five or something like that. It's like black and white TVs, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. horse-drawn carriages, everything. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, it, I'd never experienced anything like that before, just how relentless it was. Um, and everybody had a different reason mm. for, you know, a different explanation for my soreness. Uh, it was the old injury I had to my wrist. Uh, like when I was a kid, I uh, had an ice skating accident and uh, and I la- uh, there was a complete laceration of most of my flexor tendons on my right hand. Mm. And then my right hand works differently now. It's perfectly fine. Um, <clears throat> and I saw everyone. I saw everyone. I mm. saw chiro, osteopaths, uh, Chinese medicine, acupuncture, RMTs and you know I worked the systems a bit to try and find out who was good now I'm not saying anything about these practitioners right mm. but it's kind of when I started to realize that you know I was I went to 12 different practitioners mm. for like you know half a dozen different modalities at least over the course of a number of years and they all had different reasons and I just thought like this doesn't make any sense right so that's when the wheels started to fall off the bus for me yeah and so what was what was the pain you were dealing with <laughs> I have to say it was pretty dull, achy, radiating into the, uh, <clears throat> like under the chest, around like, I would say like around the liver area, front mm, and back, right, you know, right, around, just yeah. around the cage and under my chest and sometimes into my shoulder and arm. It was clearly exacerbated with stress and mm. there was no, no mechanism within, no mecha- mechanism of injury. Right. It just sort of came on and no sure. one was able to figure it out. Out of nowhere. Right. Well, everybody figured it out. They just had different <laughs> answers. They just had different answers. And to my understanding, those answers weren't helpful for you necessarily. M- mostly not. So no. what ended up happening is that I saw um, a chiropractor one time. He was like the third or fourth guy that I tried. And uh, he picked me up and body slammed me and just knocked the wind <laughs> out of me. Uh, right. But I remember when I left that uh, appointment that day, I felt so much better. Like it was like someone turned off a light switch. Mm. It was incredible. Now, it never really got much better after that. Like mm. The last 20% took me um, years, and I had to really confront some of the ways that I was dealing with my uh, my body before. I, mm. I had to try a lot of different different things that were outside my normal comfort zone. Right. Whereas uh, before, I did lots and lots of calisthenics for exercise. I stretched a lot. I have to say that um, that my medicine was in not stretching and lifting heavy. I, I never expected that, but it was right. a good experience. And now I get to tell people that, you know, you might find your medicine somewhere else than you expected to. So give it a try. You never know what works, right? Right. So you find that ex- that experience is even helping you in your practice. To, Absolutely. To illuminate. Staying broad. Right. Staying broad, right? I mean, like, uh, it certainly has reframed everything for me uh, mm. uh, with, with an understanding that that the patient is the expert on what works best for them. I spent a lot of years trying to figure out what was wrong with people and I studied so hard like you're looking at somebody that never stopped studying Hmm. since school and I wanted to master the ortho model so that I could get those answers right Hmm. because you know regional interdependence obviously is a thing right so but there just were no answers there but uh, now that I'm on a little bit more informed 
I spent the last few years really uh, changing my language and telling mm. people that they're going to be okay. Mm. And it just goes back to my experience again. Again, mm. I'm being you know flavored by my past experience. And I think if uh, if a few of those people, you know, when I was dealing with that pain, if they had just ruled out the bad stuff mm. and just said, hey, like we've looked for all the big scaries, you don't have any of those. Right. And you know what? probably going to be okay like we don't tell people that we don't tell people they're probably going to be okay right and that's really really sad it's heartbreaking Uh you know the the majority of practitioners are still telling people that they have something wrong with them Mm. and they're measuring things that uh that that aren't uh defensible indications for treatment right and is that something is that one of the more fundamental changes in your approach to working with a patient is changing your language in the way that uh, you're communicating with them as opposed to this new assessment method, this new modality, this this thing, this hot yeah. topic. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's that's a lot. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot, yeah. Um, it's definitely one of the more important pieces, I think. If you could go back and tell yourself 10 years ago when you're starting practice, yeah. hey, you should know this or you should work on this, oh. what would what would that be? I don't know. I don't know what to say. I no. mean, it's it's hard to answer that question without uh, without sounding like I'd you know be criticizing my my uh, my my uh, superiors, my instructors at the time. You know, right? Because they were amazing. Yeah. And I, I have absolutely no doubt that they improved the profession. Hmm. Um. But but just as a as a personal I individual, <laughs> <laughs> I might I might tell myself to to. Um, to get into research literacy a lot a lot sooner hmm, because okay. I didn't really understand what that meant right. and um, and basically I think that I I should have I could have found better ways of making people more responsible for the information that they were telling me hmm. and now that's something that I I end up trying my best to empower students and let them know like hey like you know you're allowed to ask us for a reference for that you know we're right. not, we can't just stand here and beak off to you about stuff and because there's so many things that 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 students believe for no other reason but we just tell them right and that's yeah. not good enough yeah 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 and one of uh uh i believe one of the ways you like to run your practice is that it's patient-centered outcome-based and evidence-informed correct so what does that what does that mean to you well patient-centered means that the um <clears throat> that the patient is the is the the expert so that's me addressing that power dynamic that I, I think that uh, a lot of us could um, could could do a better job at. Right. And, and can you del- delve a bit more into what you mean by expert? Is it just the expert on what they're going through, the expert on how to help themselves? What? Absolutely all of it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we could unpack all that stuff. So the expert on what they're going through. Hmm. Um, I've had a few patients over the years where other practitioners have warned me that they're malingerers. And it's so upsetting to me. It's heartbreaking that, you know, uh, people would think that. It's not because it couldn't possibly be true. Hmm. Um, But um, there's a couple of really, really, I think, uh, uh, poisonous assumptions there. There's one assumption that people think that if there's not a nociceptive driver that can be Hmm. identified, that the patient has psychogenic uh, symptoms by default. And that's just garbage. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece is the is the power dynamic, uh, and us again, uh, telling them that things are wrong with them, and this is what we need to fix. You know, uh, 
postural deviations that are normal, uh, sacral torsions, line, uh, you know, uh, alignment, so-called fascial adhesions, all that kind of stuff. That, mm -hmm. that like I said, uh, and even the even in the BJSM, uh, just this year there was a, there was a big article, and Peter O'Sullivan was on it, and um, one of the one of the paragraphs said something along the lines of, "It's arguable that we just made up these things, treatments for conditions that don't exist." Right. Yeah. So th it's important that, that, like I said, it goes back to me changing that phrasing when talking to people and letting them know that, that look at all the stuff you don't have mm. and it's okay. It's okay that you're hurt. I mean, I know it sucks and, or I, I wouldn't use that language in practice, but I know, right. I know it's hard and yeah. I empathize, um, but let's look at all the things that we can do. So it's again, just hijacking that narrative and turning it in the other direction. Right, okay, so what does your uh, if someone comes into you, what does your, uh, for a treatment, what does your process look like? If sure. it's not, because I, I would wager that it's not. They come in, you do a postural scan, you figure out all the orthopedic tests, you figure out that <laughs> one vertebrae is this, this much rotated over the other yep. one, and you're like, we're going to fix that. Uh, how do you uh, use your um, informed evidence? that is contrary to maybe a lot of these assessment, assessment methods we're doing and uh, apply them to your practice in order to sure. achieve the best outcomes for your patients. Oh man, holy moly. Um, <clears throat> you're right, I don't do postural assessment. <laughs> yeah. um, so I can say that like I see a lot of MVAs hmm. and um, if it's in the acute or early subacute state of injury, and people are already becoming frustrated with, with treatment because it's not working. Um, I think it's uh, it can be really calming for them to have somebody say that it's okay that it hurts right now. It's supposed to. Hmm. Uh, it's normal that you're uncomfortable. You got in a car accident. It's only been a few weeks. Like, just give us some time. So then um, the next step after, you know, ruling out tumor, infection, fracture, <laughs> systemic disease, whatever, those kinds of things, right? So yeah. you run the diagnostic triage, and, and then uh, because the vast majority of musculoskeletal uh, pain syndromes are undiagnosable anyway, mm. then we should go for a functional diagnosis instead. And, and really, that word functional, often, I, when <laughs> I hear it, I just, it's hard for me to, you know, to unclench it's because it's just so uh, abused. But what I mean right. by functional assessment is just how you're functioning in your daily lives with functional limitations, I should say. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the more important questions I'll ask is, does it hurt when you do anything in your life? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, anything. I try and keep it as open-ended as possible because you know, if it does hurt when they do that thing, they'll probably tell you right away. And then the first thing that I say is, can you show me? Mm. And I watch them do it. And uh, if it hurts in front of me, then I modify the way they do it. And then it doesn't hurt. Most of the time, we, <laughs> find a, we find a strategy so it doesn't hurt. And then they can stop picking that scab and, and sensitizing those nerves, right? So mm. we can really dial it down. And then my job is, uh, after that, is to give them the best massage that, uh, that helps them feel as best they can. And like I said, um, they're the boss of what feels best. So mm. it's something I'm always wrestling with because people already have this idea that I know best and it's just not the truth. And it could, mm, 
it could be changing something with application of technique could be just as simple as stroking lateral to medial versus medial to lateral because I'll check in with them and say, how does that feel? And they'll say, oh, that's a little uncomfortable. And I'll say, well, how about this way? Do you, does, it, does it feel okay this way? And they'll mm. say, yeah, okay, well, great. That's the way we do it. So I just right. keep on reinforcing that, that you're the boss, you're in charge of this treatment, you're the expert on works, what works best for you. And so I, te- I end up, I guess, teaching people a lot about uh, advocating for themselves with other practitioners and letting, letting us know because they're afraid to tell us, right? Right. And do you find that you ever run into any hurdles with uh, letting the patient know that they have more power than they initially suspect, where they, they come in and they maybe expect all the answers from you? And if, if they don't hear that there's anything specifically wrong, they're kind of like, well... Right. Yeah. So that conversation has to be rolled out a little bit slowly. Hmm. So it's it's over the course of the first of the first treatment, you know, like I said, ruling out all the big scaries. And then after that, um, I like to draw a little bit of a I have a whiteboard in my clinic and I like to close the first show, as you know, as I say, um, with a little bit of a drawing. And it's based on um, some of Greg Lehman's material. Mm. Uh, And so it's just about how. all these different things go into the mix when it comes to uh, pain tolerance. Um, and so we've got nociceptive possibilities, tissue or tissue-based um, um, drivers, and we have psychological drivers, and we have uh, uh, social drivers too, right? Mm-hmm. So all everybody knows, and this is kind of ironic too, because I don't know why there's so much resistance towards um, practicing this way, maybe because it's just a little bit more complicated. But to me, it's just treating the whole patient. and. I find that um, people aren't resistant at all once you give them something like Greg's cup metaphor, for example, which isn't the one that I use in my clinic, mm. but it's based on stuff like that, which just goes to show that your pain threshold is is malleable. It goes up and down, and like everybody knows that you're gonna hurt more if you're not sleeping well or eating well, or you know, how's your stress management? Are you doing the things that you enjoy doing? You know, are you having fun? All those kinds of things, in addition to giving activity modifications to help uh, stop, uh, help dial down the nociceptive drivers. Right, right. So I may pick your scab a little bit here with yeah, a term that you don't like, uh, which is myofascial release. Okay. And you've, uh, I think, mentioned in the past that you feel like maybe we should get rid of the term. Maybe, maybe not that exactly, but maybe using it less in or in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Could you give me your thoughts about that topic? Sure. Um, yeah, the name by itself uh, implies that we can identify so-called myofascial adhesions. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Let me just take even one step further back. I want just, you to go as as deep as you want. You have man. free reign. Well, say, I would, now minutes. I started saying like saying fascia is like saying beverage, right? Right? And it's it, it's not appropriate word for for what we're talking about. People say oh fascia, and it's like I'm supposed to know what you're talking about. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about when you say fascia, right? Right. It's like saying beverage. Is it carbonated? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it alcoholic? Is it whatever? Right. We have no idea what we're talking about. We're talking right. about looser and denser connective tissue, which might be more regularly or irregularly arranged. It might be more highly elastic, and it might be like super super stiff and to resist to resist uh, motion. So, um. Just using that one word is totally inappropriate. I don't even like the word fascia. Hmm. Like, what's fascia? The fascia superficialis is the same as the IT band? It's not. Hmm. It's not even close. Um, the other issue is that uh, the word... Okay, so the the name implies as a technique that we can sort of I- 
we can identify uh, indications for, for this kind mm -hmm. of treatment and, <clears throat> and then somehow target the tissue. And that's another uh, thing that grinds me up is so-called tissue-specific techniques. Mm. Um, the effects of massage are so clearly general, uh, at least right now. Okay, so uh, unless we get some some high quality evidence that says when you push the skin like this, you can actually affect the deep fascia, then this is what we have. Um, you know, the uh, the fascia superficialis is represents like in between the skin and the deep fascia a frictionless interface, so that when you apply shearing force to the skin, when you press down is fine, but when you apply shearing force to the skin, it doesn't. It doesn't make any like it doesn't make any sense to think that you could actually get some traction on the deep fascia, and then one more step is even if you could, <laughs> what do you think you're going to do to it? Is the next question, right? right? And then why? And then when you start asking these questions, you see how you see how quickly the whole thing just falls apart. Right. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, dense regular connective tissue like the IT band's got a stretch capacity of like you know like less than two percent. Hmm. So even if you could stretch it, why would you want to? Impossible, right? So yeah, I got a, I got a lot a lot of issues with that. But that being said, um, there has that has to be taken with an with an overarching uh, uh, message that yeah you can keep you can keep skin stretching. Some people really like it. I use what we still call myofascial techniques in my practice all the time mm -hmm. because some people seem to respond to it better than needing. That's 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 my son singing a <laughs> kiss in the background. It's a great song. Hey Alex, can you? Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I know it is a good song, yeah. and he's a big fan right now. <laughs> so you, you, do you feel me about the fascial thing, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, so we can still totally keep doing the same thing. Right. It's just that uh, first of all, it's not appropriate the things that we're saying because they're 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 not. Uh, not even close to defensible. It doesn't even it doesn't even come into the realm of hypothesis. Never mind a theory. Hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I guess that's it. Right. Yeah. So do you do you think that the way that new RMTs are learning this material, it should be taught in a compl completely different narrative? As in, maybe it's it's all based around uh, these are different forms of sensory input you can place on mm. the body, and they have maybe these types of effects with certain conditions yeah. or do you think that it's okay to leave it in there for now until we have maybe some really solid evidence for exactly how they work do you have any thoughts on that or does that make sense I think that we should be yeah it does make sense I totally understand what you're saying um, I think that we should yeah teach that different inputs have different effects for different people hmm Right, and the different people thing being a big factor of that too. Being okay? a huge factor. Right, and like I said, sometimes it's the difference between stroking medial to lateral versus lateral to medial. Hmm. So again, this really brings us back to, I think, uh, our nurturing uh, side as being massage therapists. I think a lot of us got into this because we're we're nurturers, right? Mm. And <clears throat> instead of trying to ortho the crap out of people, perhaps we should instead of doing massage to them, we could start listening a lot more and providing the treatment in the way that they seem to respond best. Right. You know, and there's lots of different approaches and it's totally fine. I mean, keep doing Graston, keep doing MFR, keep doing ART, keep doing all the things just as long as, well, my advice would be to 
to just just change the narrative because it's it's not defensible. Right. And that's the big thing. It's not defensible. Right? It's okay to like stuff. Mm-hmm. It's okay to like stuff, man. Yeah. Like, uh, you know? Yeah. Right on. So maybe this relates to one thing I picked up from your blog post, but it's that plain old massage with a bit of understanding of how psycho, uh, psychosocial variables play into the patient's experience is more than enough. Sure. So do you feel that... Uh, maybe through the educa- through our education or what other, whatever other factors may be, that we've piled on a little bit too much information and we kind of need to strip it away in order to get yeah. at, to a more fundamental place where, where we're kind of like you're saying, it's just, let's just do a good massage. You like medial, medial to lateral? You like, yeah. you like uh, a bit more deep pressure? You like soft, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because like I, I think that like there's a lot of folks that find my uh, opinions to be pretty dismissive, hmm. and and I like to sell it the other way, because right. I because I truly believe that it is inclusive, to burn it all to the ground. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, what was the? I just want to get back on point here. Yeah, we I were just. To... Yeah, yeah, no problem. We were just. Uh, uh, mentioning how uh, plain old massage, a little bit right. of understanding, and that yeah. maybe we've piled on a little very bit good. too much stuff, yeah. and we should be. I think we away. have, like as as very much well intentioned people, hmm. you know, hmm. start uh, measuring stuff hey. when people hurt. Right? right. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, hmm. oh, your back hurts. Well, let's see if we can find out why. That's you know, the patients looking at us, looking at us, they want to know the answer. We definitely want to know the answer. Yeah. Right. So we can help more people. And we can help the person in front of us, right? Uh, but I think we've really made up a lot more. Uh, and it's too bad because we're so deeply invested. Mm. Uh, and it's really hard to to burn it all to the ground. But we kind of have to because, uh, you know, just because the MET that you did to reduce the right-on-right sacrum, uh, reduce the patient's sacroiliac joint pain doesn't mean that it's better because you straighten them out because everyone's sacrum is crooked. And right. it's just clearly uh, beyond opinion, uh, uh, not uh, an indication for treatment mm. that we can even identify. It's because you touched them. It's because the ritual of assessment put a lot more confidence in you. Mm. It's because you moved the joint around. It's because you moved the tissue around. And all those, you know, people come to us, they have a very, uh, <clears throat> let's say an unpleasant sensory experience right a sensory emotional experience and we give them a very pleasant uh, sensory and emotional experience I had a um, uh, an instructor that always used to say what's wrong with massage hmm. and and I didn't really get it then but but now I just think like <laughs> what is wrong with massage man? it's a massage right. it feels so good and I don't understand why we need to, I think that we don't need to prop it up to be more special than it is. We have less than 1% unemployment. The only RMTs that are not working and full are the ones that don't want it to be that way. Right. Like, people are banging down our doors. We're the least profitable part of every single multidisciplinary practice. Mm. You know, we only do six people. We want 70% of the money. As far as business owners are concerned, they wouldn't have us. I mean, the chiros, <laughs> the physios, everybody else makes more money. Yeah. The only reason that they have us is because the public will burn their place to the ground if they yeah. didn't they'd be like out in the streets with pitchforks it's right? all for the people they love massage man yeah. and it's because it is magic and i totally do believe in 
in magic and human to human connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of power there with, with touch and empathy and, and people feeling well cared for. Yeah. We don't, we don't need the rest of it, man. Right. And, uh, at least the stuff that doesn't work. We have to, we have to cut off what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you feel that we do, there is some necessary work to be done as far as cutting off these dead limbs of knowledge that shouldn't be shouldn't be there anymore pruning the tree very pruning good the tree. yeah so if we if we prune the tree and we give it a good shake and the bad fruit falls yeah we gotta sweep it away and put it in the trash <laughs> so what in your opinion if you could uh scope out into the future maybe five years or so what would be the ideal what would be some great changes you'd like to see in the profession so that in five years you could say RMTs have moved forward in a good direction and we're in a better place than we used to be. <laughs> oh man, it is already happening. Okay. Yeah. I mean, good. we're a passionate group of people. Like I have I have no doubt that um that my generation of RMTs got a better start hmm. than the one before. Right. And I know very well from teaching for so long that uh that the students that are getting a start now and in the last like 10 years they're getting way better starts than I did. Right. And so you're already hopeful and we're, you feel we're already on the right hopeful, track. man. It's happening. Yeah. It's Good. happening. Progress is here. Mm-hmm. Progress is here. And uh, it's it's really cool to see. I mean, uh, we've got uh, evidence-based uh, or evidence-informed, I prefer to say, because mm-hmm. people always get sticky about evidence-based, right? Yeah. So, well, if it's evidence-based, then we have to throw everything out because there's no evidence. For, okay, 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 fine. Yeah. How about evidence-informed? And then we, we do our best, right? Right. Uh, but we are but there are yeah there are evidence informed uh, teachers at different colleges that are laying out the BPS a little bit more, mm. and when students hear this stuff, you know they they, they take a class with Dr. Liebenson or they take uh, something with Butler and Mosby, they take something with Greg Lehman. They hear these messages that you know no deception is not pain. It's also not necessary or even sufficient for pain. Although yeah, it can sensitize the system and make pain a little bit easier um, but uh, the destruction of the ortho model is m- a lot more well received mm. by uh, younger generations than it is older ones right and I teach continuing it on that when it comes to assessment which a lot of the time is I'm saying that we need to throw out most assessment as far as when it comes to when I say assessment I just mean a lot of those so-called special tests we just don't need most of them Right. And um, that's blasphemous for a lot of people. But we just we just don't need it. They're not defensible. Do you feel that there's uh, a common think with a lot of students when you say, hey, maybe this specific special test, like it's, maybe we don't need it or maybe uh, it's not as valid as we thought and you get a lot of resistance from that when you're teaching the courses? Or do you find that it is... People are people are already thinking that, but they just need needed someone to be like, "Hey, you know yeah. what? You're right. Like this yeah. this isn't this this hasn't been as evidence informed yeah. as we thought." It's 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 interesting because uh, uh, just going on what I said before, the, the, when it comes to resistance, the people that resist the most are the ones that have been out around ten years plus. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> the people that have been out for less than ten years, they've already started hearing some of these things. Seeds have been planted, so. It's not as shocking. It's not as much crow to eat. Hmm. So they're a lot more malleable. Um, um, yeah, so like when it comes to the to the courses and teaching, and when it comes to those tests and me just, you know, 
taking a lot, taking some of the things and throwing it straight in the trash, and taking some things <laughs> right. and saying this just doesn't mean what we thought it meant. Um, <clears throat> the most common piece of feedback I get from people taking my courses is, "Thank you, that was a huge relief." Relief. Really? Yeah, even people that have been practicing for a little bit longer, they say, "I always knew, I always knew," hmm. and then now we get to strip that all away and go back to uh, massage. You know, if you're familiar with Greg Lehman's work, yeah? Yeah, yeah, definitely. When Greg when Greg started saying, calm shit down, build shit back <laughs> up, yeah. I was like, oh my God, isn't that just the most beautiful, simple thing you ever heard? Because it's yeah. true, right? Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't oversimplify it. It doesn't take away from it because it's not like those things are always easy. But then I started thinking about how can I make this for massage therapy, right? So I basically made this flow chart that shows what I think is that you know, after you rule out the big scaries and do some activity mods, the vast majority of roads for massage therapy end in the same place. Hmm. Rub that shit and make it feel better. Right. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. And that sounds like a good good note to start wrapping things up on. Okay. Is there anything, uh, anything else you'd like to mention, just express an opinion on something, or uh, closing thoughts, courses that you have coming up, that sort of thing? Well, I'm not going to take this time to start, you know, plugging my courses, but you can find me at taylorjames.ca when it comes to that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can always email me or just call or whatever. You might, I'm all over the place. You can find me. Where uh, where can people uh, get in contact you, to you by? Um, or email, I guess. Well, they can, they can email me at taylorjames.ca at gmail.com. Okay. Um, yeah, but I'm all over, man. They, people, I'm, I'm findable. You're findable. Okay. Yeah, so I, just just Google you. Find your courses, learn a whole bunch of stuff, well, I would, feel relieved. I'm not going to say plug my courses. I'm going to say that you shouldn't believe me. I'm saying doing your own research, right? Mm. And read research. Um, so uh, on that note, do you have any suggestions for people to oh, to, to look for research or to be more Yeah, informed? it depends on what you're into. Um, Getting people better. Truth, uh, yeah, right? Oh, man. <laughs> Isn't that what we're all into? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I've, one of the things that I'm, t I'm, I'm looking at right now is... Uh, uh, I think it's called the Physio Network. Physio and, Network. And uh, okay. it's like, I think their tagline is like putting knowledge into practice or something like that. But they put out a monthly uh, newsletter and they have like, you know, 14 physio on the team or something like that. And like there'll be like eight or so articles that are picked and then they review them, right? They review all the sections of it. And so it's a little bit more of a shorter review and it kind of sums up what's going on with the paper. So it's relevant and it's good research and you get a good opinion on it so you can then decide oh do I want to download the whole thing and then and then read the whole paper myself which right. I think is a good idea but you get like you know it kind of keeps you plugged in right awesome so that's physio network I think so yeah I think so you can email me and yeah if not you, yeah, in, in, the, in the show notes I'll, I'll put the right link in oh, and then I'll yeah, to the I'll put an asterisk and say you had no idea what you were talking about we had to change the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else anything else like that you'd like to, to mention I think I, don't know, I think I think that uh, if if anybody wants to get a better, uh, more well-rounded, uh, research-informed idea of what of what uh, of what I'm all about, I think that maybe on my website there's one blog post that I wrote that that I could be, be like medium proud of, hmm. um, and it was called "What's with the Resistance," hmm. and it's well, there's a lot of resistance yeah. uh, in our communities, and I just don't, I don't understand because. Uh, because now with pain science being a lot more popular and reinforcing the PS of the of the of the BPS hmm. and BPS a, being the biopsychosocial model which we, which we've always kind of 
uh, wanted to treat in, but somehow the ortho model just seduced us, and now we're, you know, we're reducing patients' problems to uh, a couple of fascial adhesions and a crooked <laughs> sacrum, and it's just it's not okay. Right. So anyway, that that blog post kind of wraps it up. I think real nice. Good, good. I'll link that as well. Right on. Okay. Well, thank you very much again for taking the time. This was an awesome conversation uh, and very illuminating. Oh, so thanks thank you. for having me. Yeah. <laughs> right on.